This week on The Native Immigrants, we tackle the subject of addiction. How prevalent an issue is it still within the South Asian community? In the second half of the show, we speak to Jitesh Chauhan, a former addict who has just released a new documentary raising awareness for alcohol addiction within our community. Listen in as he discusses his story and the battles to overcome addiction. The Native Immigrants are in the building. Hit the music. and welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants. I'm your host Swami Barakas and as always I'm joined by my co-host Jojo underscore B. What's going on Jojo B? Hello. It's a very happy Jojo B this week. Yes. Well, uh, well mixed feelings for Jojo B, good and bad. She's sad because our month of love has officially come to an end now. It's over. Yeah, it's done. The it's love's done. gone. Yeah. Love is, uh, it's so, like, it's so September. Yes, so last month. Exactly. Um, and we've moved on from love. Yes, we have. How do you, what's the, what's the next thing from love? What do you, when you move on? Bliss. We're, <laughs> We're in our bliss state. We're in our stage of bliss. Because autumn is here and I had a pumpkin spice latte. Right, oh yeah. Big and uh, that was my first of the season. Actually, I think it's my first ever. I don't think I've ever got into this whole pumpkin spice latte I mean, spice you latte haven't really thing. had like any like lattes from any baristas since, what, 2019? Do you know what's really tragic? I've been making my own mochas at home with, with options hot chocolate and a bit of instant coffee. There you go. That's the, that's the budget version. The <laughs> Poundland so, version. I mean, it's not even Poundland version. It's so budget. But do you know what? They're pretty delicious. Um, so, yes, I had a pumpkin spice latte. Well done. An official one from from Starbucks. Mm. It was okay. Did you play with any conkers? I found a conker. Um, I found a couple of really good, you know, like good conkers that you know that these would be good in battle. Right. Kind of conkers. And I didn't even play that much conkers back in the day, but it could just tell that these would be good with a little, you know, a couple of weeks in the windowsill or whatever you're supposed to do with them. I think yeah, so. They roast them, isn't it? I think well, put that's them cheating. In the... That and soaking in, or in vinegar is cheating. Right. But I don't think, you know, I think they're everywhere, these conkers, because no one plays with them anymore. It's yeah, not a thing. Is it a thing? I don't know. I, no, it's not a thing anymore. That went with the mid-90s, I think. Okay. We'll put it out there. I, I don't know, because I'm, you know, I'm not hanging around any schoolyards or anything for a long time. <laughs> Um, I seriously, I'm not people just before you start calling the right authorities. No, but you um, just used to see kids picking them up in the park and stuff and you yeah. don't anymore. They, I mean, the, the squirrels then, are going yeah, mad for them. But the, because I don't see them often enough when I'm out and about in parks, are kids taking them then? There can't be that many squirrels to just round up 50,000 conkers. I don't know. I don't think kids do conkers. Anyway, if you're a parent of a child that could potentially be of conker playing age, please do let us know. Yeah, exactly. What is the state of the world with conkers? Are they back in fashion? But um, conkers are not the reason why I've been ha feeling happy, sad. Yes, Jojo B. Uh, so sadness from the month of love coming to an end. Because um, uh, now we have to focus on the topics of agenda that we do week in, week out on this show. But she's extremely, extremely delighted about something else. Something quite big if you've been following the recent sporting headlines here in the UK. Now, 
So you're going to set this up to make me sound yep. like I don't care and I have no ethics. Yep. This is not true. I'm yep. very mixed feelings. Like, mixed feelings. Extremely happy about one thing and a little bit, a little bit concerned about the other thing. The, the way... So, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're building this up. Should I just say what we're talking about? Yeah, okay. well, pe- people who know Jojo B um, will know that she is a big... Well, not even a big Newcastle United fan. She's always said that she's a Newcastle United fan, but she's one of those kind of like, like I'll only support them when they're doing well. No, and no, when they're not that doing not well, true. I want nothing to do with football. That is not true. Please. I went through years of heartache. I've been through more relegations than I would like to. And I just thought I got to a point where I was like, I cannot make myself feel this miserable all the time. Mm. So I um, chose to step away from football overall. <laughs> I got a bit involved in no, the. You know, I got a bit involved over the summer, um, with the with the England team and stuff. But I just no, just I couldn't take the pain no. anymore. So no. no, so I took a step away. Now the main reason for that, and I feel <laughs> like there's a lot of people who felt the same way who are Newcastle United fans. Mike Ashley was a plague upon our club mm. who refused to leave for I think it was like 14, 15 years. And can you imagine 14, 15 years of pure misery right. with that man in charge? And so I, that's the main reason why I had to to save myself from that misery and move away from football for a little while. Right. Always Newcastle, always, you know, black and white at heart but he is gone yes he's no longer owner of that club and i i think i may actually have jumped up and down physically jumped up and down when i when i saw that news that he was gone right so this uh overriding feeling of joy at him going uh coincides with the club being sold to a very notorious party Yes, and here's where the mixed feelings and slight concern comes into play. Yes. Um, and um, yes, <laughs> I don't know how else to explain this. I mean, the way Jojo B was defending this to me uh, the day that this uh, sale, was no sale happened. defending or justification. It was me just trying to get my head around it. I think like a lot of Newcastle fans, we're trying to understand how we... We need to live with this now, right? There's nothing we can do about it now. So, okay, so who bought the club, JJB? Well, I mean, basically the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia did, <laughs> yeah. but through an investment fund. Yeah. And so they, so there's kind of like a level of separation, but not really. Um, and so, yes, we're owned by Saudi Arabia. But the re- the way that I explained this, I mean, this is going to, I can go on for a long time. Yeah, but this, this is, is basically not the show for a rant. This is basically a rant about capitalism in football. And this is what happens when you allow capitalism to run rife and to run away with things. It's like it is a runaway train. Mm. Um, and so if you're going to spend 150 million, 200 million on a player, those funds are going to have to come from somewhere and your local car dealership is not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the carpet factory owner or whatever is not going to be able to do that anymore. And it is going to have to now be whole fucking countries that own a football team. Yeah, And, you know, they got in there and did that. And they did that with us. And there is a, yes, there is a level of feeling a bit <laughs> sick at, at the idea of that. But Mike Ashley's gone. I mean, you can... Like, you don't have to justify it to me. I I know, like, from outside the the footballing perspective, um, well, Newcastle perspective, football fans would have loved to have seen Newcastle um, 
get rid of Mike Ashley. I think that's paramount. He's bad for football. I heard that maybe he might be going for Derby, which would be a very, I mean, seen as my second team, that would be really, that really be terrible. Perfect. But when you do talk about Saudi Arabia, then human rights violations will always come into question. Murdering of journalists will always come into question. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a, a massive outcry, not just within the confines of the football club itself, but across the whole of UK world Absolutely. Uh, football fans. Uh, you know, they've suddenly gone to being one of the richest clubs in the world. Uh, you know, that money is always going to come into, you know, slight question as well. But I mean... If you if you're talking about that kind of I don't know what you could call it blood money like you know dodgy mm. money that runs right through the Premier League already and it was only ever going to get worse it started with Russian oligarchs and it's kind of it's just progressed yeah. worse and worse and the people who are responsible for that are the Premier League and the FA and they have allowed this to happen and this is this is a, a problem within our football leagues mm. and. It, it makes it difficult. Once the precedent has been set, it's really hard to then go back That's the problem. and reform That's the problem. things. Yeah. And so they didn't really have a leg to stand on once the, the rights, the kind of the football rights thing had been resolved. The television rights. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Once the that had been resolved, piracy. they didn't have, and they couldn't have any other objection because this is the, the what they've set up. This is yeah, the system they've just, set up. But it's, it so, is a massive precedent that's been set. I and, know. And um, it's, as a Newcastle fan and, you know, and I think many kind of right-minded, rational thinking, other U Newcastle fans feel the same way that we feel uncomfortable with it. But yeah, we're yeah. at a point where we just don't know what else we can do. So if the if the if this is what's happening, the only thing that we can do is say, see you later, Ashley. And not necessarily welcome the new owners with open arms, <laughs> yeah. but just see what they're going to do. Because I don't know what else, I don't know how to justify. There is no justification. There is no justification, really. And I think um, a lot of this will kind of boil, you know, boil over. And up until the point where there's obviously big marquee signings, uh, Newcastle Brick will undoubtedly be bringing in now. And then all of this will kind of get brushed under the carpet. And so, you know, what we... What, like well, as a, it did with Man City at the time when there yeah, was a exactly, war about them, exactly. you know, it just it slowly becomes a nothing, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah. what's next, though? Well, who knows? Basha Al Assad taking over Grimsby Town or something? I well, I mean, genuinely, you know? I have no idea how much worse it can get. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> as we know in football and in life, things can only get worse. Well, yes. I mean, that's a very defeatist thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Let's not say that. Um, no, I just think that there has to be some checks and controls put into place because I think it could, as I said, become a runaway train. Yeah. But we could do a whole show on this and this is not exactly, what the show yeah. is about. Our show today. is not about football, um, but well done, Judge B. It's a big thing, obviously, for your club. But it is about tackling the issues, taboos and topics within the South Asian community. And this week is absolutely no exception because we're going to be discussing addiction. Now, this is something that we have talked about previously on our show on two separate episodes. Episode four, where we discussed uh, an article by the BBC about alcohol addiction within the Punjabi community. And also episode 43, where we covered Project Recovery and Nishkam Swat and all the work they do to help um, addictions and addicts within our community. Uh, and this week, we decided to relook at this subject matter, and that is because of a recent documentary that's been released by a gentleman by the name of Jitesh Johan. 
Jitesh actually got in touch with me after uh, one of our previous shows about addiction and spoke to me about his story and about his experiences and how he'd been a, a previous addict himself and how it'd been a long period of overcoming that um, and the recovery and the journey uh, uh, that it's taken him to this point about raising awareness of it for many people within our community. And so he has just released an amazing documentary piece called I'm Jit and I'm an Alcoholic, which we were both very lucky to see. And it's a powerful, powerful watch. Absolutely. And it's it's really raw and very open and a really brave account of what Jit went through in terms of his addiction and his recovery through that. And it highlights the issue, the wider issue within our community and and why that issue is so prevalent and yet we are not able to have those conversations around it at yes. the moment. And yep. he's trying to make those conversations happen yeah. through the documentary. Yeah, I think he, he's, he's spoken to us before about that whole importance of being able to normalise these conversations. Yeah, And I, I've yet to see anyone talk so openly and graphically about um, their experiences as an addict, totally. um, especially from our community. Uh, because uh, on our previous shows, we've talked about a lot of these things being brushed under the carpet or, or um, it's one of those things, again, that's kept within your four walls. Um, people don't talk about them outside of the community. To, mm. And uh, where do you go for help? And obviously, we've spoken before about Project Recovery. Um, but, you know, hearing an account from a former addict about his journey and how hard it was to overcome that and the battle that that took place mentally physically to overcome that uh, is a massive massive thing and i think it's it's something that so many people are suffering from currently as we speak and how do they get themselves out of that situation you know yes yeah. they, you can get help for these things but you know we need to get to the core of the problem which is which stems from our culture it stems from from home and the people that are nearest and dearest to you um, and opening up that conversation amongst those people. It's a massive, long process, and it's a journey that we all need to undertake within our circles and within people within our community. And because we, we've said it before, we all know people that have been suffering or are suffering from this um, addiction. It's not just alcohol addiction. We're talking about drug addiction. There's so many different variances of it. And until we as a community help each other out through it, then how are we ever going to progress and how is our next generation going to be able to learn from that as well yeah and I think what the documentary does very well and we won't give away too much about it but it does also give the perspectives of the people that were around Jit at the time yeah and how it felt for them yes and and those conversations I think are probably the most powerful me were the most moving and the most powerful were him talking to his friends and talking to his family about that and how yeah. they had seen things through their own eyes at that time and the powerlessness that they had, you know, yeah. they just felt like they couldn't do anything. I highly recommend that people watch this and and ideally sit down with their families and their, their loved ones to watch it with them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and have those conversations in their own living rooms about this. Because if it's not in your own family, it'll be, you know, an extended family uncle or auntie or, you know, cousin, you know, someone or another that you know will be dealing with some an issue like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, there are um, showings that are going to be taking place. One on the day of this podcast release, 13th of October at 6pm. Uh, and also one on the 14th of November at 4pm. 
and the 8th of December at 6 p.m. And to watch those, you can watch those at www.7events.org forward slash Zoom. And there will also be a Q&A session uh, after these as well. So you can actually talk to JIT, um, talk to the filmmakers themselves uh, about um, the documentary piece, also to discuss his story about addiction. And um, yeah, it's a really, really important piece that we highly encourage everyone to watch. But after the break, we're going to be talking to the man himself, Jitesh Johan, about his documentary piece, I'm Jit and I'm an Alcoholic. See you on the other side, people. the second half of the native immigrants i'm swami barakas and i'm jojo b and as mentioned in the first half of the show we're covering the very very important topic of addiction specifically alcohol abuse within the south asian community Mm -hmm. we have obviously covered this from season one where we talked about alcohol abuse and specifically in detail and it was important for us obviously four years on to almost see where we are as a community, whether we've actually progressed as a community, if it's still a massive problem within the South Asian community, mm. we both know that it still is. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, more needs to be done, obviously, to raise awareness amongst our community on the dangers uh, and, you know, all the pitfalls that can happen with it. It could lead to very tragic endings with so many members of our community. We've seen it amongst people within our family where alcohol abuse can be quite extensive. And, you know, I think more needs to be done, obviously, to make people more aware of that more than anything else. Yeah, we wanted to see where the conversation was at at this point Hmm. in 2021. How much have we moved on with that conversation? How open are we being about these topics now? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the openness and the um, ability to no longer look at this as a taboo or a stigma and stuff and, and really see it as the problem that it is and get people to talk and engage and hopefully change lives because of it is something that we need to do not just within our own circles within our wider community as well but as i said more does need to happen in for that to happen more than anything else Mm -hmm. Uh, but off the back of that first show um a gentleman by the name of jit johan got in touch with me uh and he'd listened to that episode and uh i think a lot of what we spoke about related to him um, because he'd had a background in um, addiction himself, um, unfortunately. Um, And it took a long time for him to get to a point of recovery thereafter from it. And we got into a really great uh, conversation. And he mentioned at the time that he wanted to do more to raise awareness himself um, because he wanted to show people his story, what he went through and hopefully change people's lives thereafter because of it. And, even if it was a small step in the right direction, then that's a massive change within our whole community. Yeah. And that was four years ago. And four years later, JIT has put together a documentary piece called I'm JIT and I'm an Alcoholic. And we got a chance to see this the other day. And it was powerful viewing, to say very the least. Very powerful, very emotive. 
yeah yeah uh I will I was crying at some points of it I just it, you know it really kind of it hits you hard when you see what it was is going to explain to us about the documentary but you know when you see parts of it you can kind of relate or it can resonate when you know people who've been through that similar journey yeah it's and I think that's what it was more than anything else when you see the family members in it um the friends that he speaks to you realize that it's not just a problem that affects the individual it affects everyone within that circle as well yeah. and, and the whole wider community because of it um and it was important for us to get Jit on the show to speak about this piece how he went about making it what encouraged him to make it and where he'd like to see this go so we are delighted to be joined by Jit Johan right here how's it going Jit? Um, really well guys and um, thanks for having me on no, it's, it's a pleasure. I know we've had this conversation many years ago uh, and we've yeah. been speaking ever since um, about, you know, what needs to be done in terms of raising awareness for addiction in general amongst our community. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm delighted to see that, you know, all that culminated in this great documentary piece um, that is that's out there right now. And I know there's going to be a few more showings of it going forward. And we're going to discuss that and when those are going to take place later on in the show. But let's go further back into the story of JIT. So what first led you uh, into relying on drinking itself? Um, and was it social drinking that just got out of hand, or was there a much bigger problem? I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I would say for many years, especially as a teenager, I was quite affected by social anxiety, hmm. um, you know, self-awareness, and what people thought of me. Um, and for me, it was a massive, massive issue. And um, 13, 14, 15, you know, drinking helps, doesn't it? It gives you that little bit of confidence um, to be less self-aware. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, for me, that, that's where it, I guess, you know, I sort of do a, little self, a lot of self-analysis analysis now on my history and my past. And, yeah, I think it was really around social anxiety and stresses of work and school and all of just those peer pressures really but social anxiety being one of the biggest ones in terms of like starting to drink was it more from like your like, that friend circle was it like a wider family circle that that first kind of um introduced, introduced yeah. you to it more than anything else i guess you know as kids when you're 12 or 13 you can have a little sip of your dad's beer or your uncle gives you a little sip or something and you know you sort of get introduced to alcohol that way mm. and then as you get older 16 15 16 you sort of try it out with your friends and turn 18 you know you can legally drink then so you sort of drink birthday parties social opportunities you know it would always always revolve around drinking um and i guess uh you know, everything in our culture in this country uh, revolves around drinking. So, you know, going to university, just going to watch football somewhere, it's in a pub, right? You drink yeah. um, Sunday afternoon and that's your whole day done sort of thing. So, it was, yeah, I guess it was social drinking initially. Um, but, you know, whatever traumas you may have had, and for me it was social anxiety, whether it's big or small, mm. you know, it, it generally would lead you to some sort of substance. And in my case, it was alcohol. Yeah. initially and not having those tools or education on how to deal with social anxiety and you know your mind and your thoughts um you know it just exaggerated the problem because i didn't know how to deal with it to be honest and alcohol was a escape 
Yeah, I think like with social anxiety, it's it's only like now in the last few years where mm. even then there's more being done and more awareness raised and more help for people that are suffering from anxiety yeah. in general. You know, social anxiety being one of the the, the biggest factors of that and so you can imagine like 15 to 20 years ago where there was there was literally to that not to that level that we have now and especially not so much within our own community where a lot of those things get you know get brushed under the carpet and we don't talk about these things amongst each other and so then who do you turn to and who do you like you know who, who can help you out basically because you know families to a certain extent like you know, we, we've talked about our, our parents' generation and how they just put up with a lot of things and kind of just dealt yeah. with it, moved on without addressing a lot of problems. And They buried that, their traumas, mm, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, a lot of those yeah, things got totally. buried. Totally. And so, so social anxiety at that point in time, um, it, you know, again, was a massive taboo. Yeah, they didn't even know what it was. I mean, exactly. for me, that was about 30 years ago. Well, there you go. Uh, giving away my age. Nah, uh, it's all good. We're all the same age. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so they don't even, t- they, they probably didn't even talk about anything like that. You probably get a clip around the ear or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, just go out and do it, you know, or you know, go to school or go to college or go to your new school. Um, you know, your driving lessons, do that, you know, just do it. Yeah. There was no conversation around anything because people just didn't understand it. Um so yeah, probably a bit easier now, but then for me, it was just like, you know, I couldn't even talk to my friends about it because they would just yeah. probably laugh it off as well. Yeah. yeah, I think it's really important that we're now kind of having those mental health conversations even more. Mm. And I mean, mm. I, and I totally get it. Like when I talk about my to, to my mom about my anxiety, she's like, oh, just don't let things worry. Don't let, just don't worry yeah. about those things. It's fine. And so, so it's, still, not- it's hard for that generation still <laughs> yeah. to, to kind sure. of wrap their heads around those things. It's good though. It's good because they're talking a bit more, you know, especially in terms of mental health uh, yes. from yeah. a couple of years ago to now. Yeah. To now, you know, those conversations are happening. So it's, there's, there's a, a light there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, important leaps are being made in those kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you mentioned that you kind of start. you had like your first drink when you were like 12, 13. But like, when did it get to a point where you were excessively drinking? And how long did that period last for? Like, what was the, the peak of that? Um. I have to be honest. Um, from about thirty-one years of age, um, I'm forty-seven now, and I gave up drinking when I was forty-one. Mm. So from the from probably about twenty-five, twenty-six, the last 10, 15 years of my drinking, you know, that's when it was really at its worst. Right, and uh, that's a lot of time, you know, to drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the way I was drinking, and the last ten years of that days uh my drinking days when i was in active addiction i absolutely hated you know i always knew what would happen if i had a drink and uh, it would end up in a week maybe two weeks of non-stop drinking mm-hmm. um gall- gallivanting you know picking up whatever i could pick up yeah just yeah. to keep keep that high going you know because mm-hmm. my body was craving it you know whether it was um, whatever drug it was. And to be honest, those 10 years I hated and I just wanted to be a normal person, you know, being able to drink like someone could have one or two drinks and then go home, Yeah, you know. 
So was it um like periods of binge drinking and then you wouldn't drink and then you would get then it would happen again or was it like you were consistently drinking like every day? No, it was pretty much binge drinking. Um, right. Towards those last ten years, I did try and control uh, my drinking, not realizing that I just couldn't drink. Mm. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe I can just have one. You know, try and be normal. You know, not try and understand my addiction at all. Yeah. Or not understanding my addiction. And um, basically thinking, yeah, I can have one drink, you know, I'll be fine. It, it, it was just that one drink. That 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 was all it took. And yeah. it was tough for me, but it was just as tough for my family. You know, if it was yeah. a, um, a social event or I was going out or a family occasion, you know, a wedding or a birthday, there's always lots of alcohol. They would always worry. And... All it would take was one person, oh, Jake, go on, just have one. Because that's the sort of conversations we have in our community. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you, know, you need to have a drink, have a drink, have a drink. If you don't, you know, you're seen as someone sort of inferior or weak, you know, and that's all it would take. And you can see the fear and anxiety in my parents. And, you know, they knew I'd disappear for a while. And that's generally what would happen in those last 10 years. Which is, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not really saying the things that happened, but, you know, they weren't nice. Yeah. They yeah, weren't of nice, course. you know. Yeah, it's, um, it's a horrible situation. I wouldn't want anyone to be in, you know. Well, talking about that, so we might, there might be someone listening now who, you know, it's been tough, tough 18 months. People have been, some people have been on their own. Um, they were, yeah. you know, locked down on their own, living on their own. Um, and alcohol is an easy friend in that situation. Um, mm. And some people are now back out there and kind of socializing again. And, you know, it's that kind of that rush of like, let's get out and socialize. And yeah. as you said, in, in Britain, the, the, a lot of the kind of socializing culture is around drinking and so they might be kind of going a little bit you know drinking a bit more than they would have done normally before yeah if someone what what is the point where you realize that this has gone beyond you know kind of normal I, I mean I inverted commas normal drinking into yeah. something that's a bit more excessive like what are the points where you might be able to recognize that happening you know there was moments where I, I would drink on my own. Um, I would go out with friends and, you know, in, in that 10-year period, especially, you know, just try and get away with having one drink mm. with them, two drinks. And I just couldn't wait to get home because then I could just close the curtains, just lie in my bed and drink by myself, mm. you know. And you're literally in the darkness, even in the daytime. The next morning, I'd still be drinking in the darkness, you know, just your whole mind is so it's a horrible it's a horrible mindset you have and it's so dark and dingy in there and you you want to stop but every time you sort of, sort of feel slightly sober you'll have another swig of whiskey mm-hmm. or something um just to push you back up again because you don't want to feel um what you were feeling before you know um, yeah. you don't want to get off that high <laughs> and yeah, that, I think that was the, um, the the bit that when I really realised that it it is not right. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's not normal, you know. And I'd, I'd been sick and tired of being tired of 
being drunk all the time like the way I was and it just had to stop it's uh, yeah so difficult when you you know put yourself in that mm. in that mind frame and that mindset um and feeling almost a sense of helplessness um obviously we want we want to encourage people yeah. to, to watch the documentary piece um and and see it in its entirety and there's there's mm. moments in that where um you speak to members of your family and your friends and those are the probably the most emotive scenes for us mm. because mm. there's almost a sense of helplessness on both sides um of course you know we've we've already already spoken about um the the taboos and the stigmas within our community and obviously there's a lot of things that don't get said and things that do get brushed under the carpet and and also a sense of not being able to know what to do um to help people through such traumatic experiences um you know and i think that that's something that can be said especially from our our parents um you know generation who not necessarily yeah, yeah wouldn't you know they to, there's only so much that they can know what to do almost in that in that sense as well yeah like, they also don't have the language i don't think they don't know how mm-hmm. to have that conversation because they just don't have the tools or the language to be able to kind of make that happen yeah because they never experienced that themselves being able to have those kind of conversations so it's like it's hard for them to then know how know to help how their to children help. yeah absolutely yeah because yeah. yeah. obviously we you know par- we've already know parents can say silly things or say stupid things or you know not not know the right thing to say you know it comes out wrong yeah Yeah. things come out wrong as well at the same Mm. time and stuff and so you know uh that can almost be like a hindrance more than a help when you're trying to get through (laughs) such a um a real heavy experience like this um but you know obviously we want people to watch the documentary and and see those conversations because i think a lot of people can relate to that even aside of if we take addiction out of the equation you know, there's there, we just talk, talked about social anxiety and then we mentioned mental health and there's so yeah. many people going through so many different, um, you know, uh, experiences like this. And sometimes you don't get the conversation you need from your nearest and dearest. Um, and that's what makes things worse. And I think, you know, by raising awareness and by getting help, not just help for the sufferers themselves, but also the people in within the circles that are seeing yeah, people. Yeah. Because they, it's an equal, like in terms of the suffering, it's it's like it's across the whole scale. And you you almost want to find ways to help the the individuals as well as the the people that are close to them. Um, and you know, find a way to kind of help both those groups of people through this process because it's not a it's not a quick fix and it needs more education into how to help you know especially the guys that are there day to day with the sufferers um yeah and i think it's a yeah it's it's one of those things where awareness was the most important thing um and so in terms of the documentary piece itself when did the idea originate to create this film based on your experiences and and why did you think it was necessary in this time period okay i mean i would say i mean we spoke about four years ago i think yes probably yeah about a year before that, you know, I was just having initial thoughts to say, you know, um, I'm doing all right now. Um, that was two years into my recovery. And and I think I need to um, do something, you know. And I spoke to a few people saying, this is what I'm going to do. Do you think it will be all right? How do you think people will take it? Because um, I think it will help one person at least, Yeah. you know. And then during lockdown, luckily, we were all at home. And for me, that gave me a lot more time to dedicate in, to this in terms of looking for funding, 
trying to work out what message I wanted to get across, who should be in it, um, how do we get the message out to the community sort of effectively, mm. um, finding the right director. Um, luckily, I met a guy called Derek Roberts, who understood the subject uh, through his past and through working with people in that area. So he just knew it. Um, so he was the right person. And I noticed in my time of active addiction that there was numbers, there were quite a few issues that I faced um, personally, you know, conversations behind my back from the public and the community. Obviously, when someone's drinking, they don't really have personal care, do they? They don't really think about that. Yeah. It's, it's all about just getting drunk, really. And then my parents not, like you just said earlier, my parents not knowing where to go for help. That's a lack of conversations that we have. Mm. And the shame and embarrassment I felt I had brought to the family and the shame and guilt the family felt as well. So they were things I had noticed in, in, in that time. So I just thought, you know, something needs to be done. And all of those fe- feelings and thoughts, they're all nonsense things that um, communities and society put on you. But the most important thing is someone's well-being, right? That, yeah. That's the most important thing. Definitely. Here. Um, so I thought, you know, by doing this, um, I've noticed there's a lack of understanding and conversation in the community around addiction. Um, it is a massive, massive issue. Uh, we can, wherever you go, you will see it. Um, down Belgrave Road, there never used to be homeless people living in the street. Right, you know, yeah. There is now, there is now, you know, what has changed? You know, something has to be done. So, and I also thought services around the nuances within the South Asian community, the various cultures and faiths, and within those different cultures and faiths, there's a breakdown of uh, the word caste, I guess. Uh, you know, those things, they all have to be taught, spoken about, and they all have to be spoken about together, otherwise we, we won't do anything. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, let me get the ball rolling. You know, I don't want another parent or a friend or a person in active addiction to, to fear and have these fears around these conversations mm. whilst there's help out there for you. So let me just throw that first pebble in the water and let's see where the, where the ripples take effect, you know, because I'm confident in, enough to know, to feel like something important will come out of this video. I mean, even now, there's a few people, about 150 people have seen it. And I've had a number of phone calls of people saying to me, Chit, you know, that's brilliant. You know, my brother's struggling or I'm struggling. Where can I go for help? So yeah. that's two or three people already, you know. Um, and I've not heard anything negative come out of what when people have seen it. So that can also only be a good thing, you know. Yeah, yeah no, of course. I don't think the only negative aspect of it is like what you had to go through and what you endured yeah. um, through that yeah. part of your life, you know. And I think, you know, and that is an important message because it, it echoes um, a lot of what so many sufferers um, are, are going through yeah. right now as we speak. Um, <laughs> did you actually have any like worries or um you know, inhibitions in terms of putting yourself out there for this piece, like I, because it's such a, a it's such a heavy yeah. subject matter, um, and it delves into so many um, traumatic parts of your life. And we've already yeah. spoken about our community and the wider community. And you mentioned, obviously, in, in the documentary itself about 
how you know people talk and like gossiping is a big thing and yeah you know, unfortunately that's still a big problem you know within our, our wider circles mm. was that was that something that worried you or, or had any um you know sort of I, hesitation no i think the biggest thing i worried about was being in front of camera because i don't like being in front of the camera um, like Jojo, i don't like <laughs> exactly. yeah, she yeah. hates the camera i don't i don't like talking in public i really do not like talking in public but you do it but, so well know, it's something i've signed up for now right so yeah 100 percent. yeah you're the, sp- you're the spokesperson for this now my friend so oh, a lot of, lot of responsibility <laughs> on those shoulders i know but in terms of the community i don't care yeah um, i'm sorry uh you know, this is, I've done the hardest thing anyone can do is come out of addiction. And um, I still have to work at it every single day. Mm. You know, I have to do my meditations, my reading, whatever. But what is the community going to say to me that I haven't probably said, haven't said to myself, you know, in in one of my drinking episodes. Um, There's things that I say in the film which are like, oh my God, wow. You know, mm. I can't, I, I won't say it here, but, you know, they are, they are really tough, tough things to deal with. Mm. So, you know, being out there, telling my story to the community is easy. I, I didn't have any hesitation in doing it because I knew what the benefits of it would be. Yeah. And it would be able to help a mom, a dad, uncle, aunt, brother, sister, friend, best friend, you know, best feet. Well, I don't know what they call it nowadays, you know. Um, yeah it would help someone, you know, because if when they watch the film, they will notice or they'll take something out which is relevant to them, which they may see in someone else or they may see in themselves to think, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's important. That, to me, is is the win in all of this, not the, the stuff people may say to me because I couldn't care less, to yeah. be honest. I really couldn't. No, that's absolutely the right answer. <laughs> and like I said, and again, we, this is something that we need to eradicate within our communities and something that we've yeah. been banging on about all the time on here on the Native Immigrants. It's, it's mm. having, you know, those kind of passe mentalities of gossiping and, and talking about yeah. each other's, you know, you know, behind each other's backs almost in a way. It's and what it's, perpetuates the shame, isn't it? Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, it's something Omni always says. She always says to me, you know, even if they're saying some, something negative, you know, I'm there in their mind. Um, you know, they're talking about me. Living so there rent-free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm basically, yeah. So I'm still, they're still taking part in that conversation. And touch wood, they, they never have to experience that stuff or know someone. But when they do, they'll actually think, actually, these guys were right. Mm. You know, we've been doing it to them for so long. And now it's someone in our life and they're probably doing it to us. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we were wrong in all of this. And maybe, yeah. We and, and another thing, I think the younger generation, um, I look at my nephew and niece, and they're more socially aware. They're very socially aware about stuff going on. And I, I, I think, you know, they're the ones that will come out with the old, in with the new, but the new mindsets will come in. And, um, yeah, those conversations will be had. Yeah, of course. But it need, I guess it needs to happen 
from you know our generation almost because we're yeah we're almost a bridge between those those two generations where exactly. the other generation are still in that sort of mindsets from um mm. you know their, their their lives in the motherlands and obviously the younger generation are you know i've, I've got a completely yeah. different mindset to that and so it's fine yeah. finding that where there was that transition generation of kind of mm. trying to connect those two um cultures because we've still got a very uh, heavy elements of our south asian mm you know culture and roots still embedded in our, in our system us. yeah you know and yeah. so we want to make sure that our younger generation are also getting a piece of that but also our, our parents generation are able to adapt their mindsets and adapt their way of thinking mm-hmm. to the fact that we're now here you know and we're living a different life to how it is out there so um it's important to open that dialogue yeah. and that conversation in your households uh, amongst each I've other spoke, yeah in households especially have it, have it in your household i mean They'll yeah. have it in theirs and they'll have it in theirs. And all of a sudden, they're all having those conversations and you're winning, aren't you? Exactly. I mean, we had loads of uncles and aunts at my screening that we did. and Amazing. The Q&A afterwards was brilliant. Everyone was hit hard by what we were saying. And they were family, but I can only really influence my family by what I say. And all of them were like, we didn't know what it was like that. And we will work with you in whatever you want to do. I think when you when you think about it that way, then really in essence, it's, it's a documentary piece made for your family, um, because yeah. this this is like the biggest eye opener for the people that were being affected close. and being yeah close to you that whole time period. Yeah. And so you know there'll be hundreds of people that will watch this piece, and everyone will take something else out of it. But yeah. if your family can can watch this and get a better understanding of what you went through because you mm. weren't able to talk to them about it, they weren't to, able to talk to you about it. Yeah. Then really, that's the biggest win. Um, and yeah. I think, like in, in every in everyone's lives, it's it's that uh, to get your families to be able to comprehend the situation and be able to see what you're going through um, yeah. you know, as as an individual sufferer and stuff. It's it's really really important. Um, but the thing with addiction is it's unfortunately still a massive stigma within our community. Um, yeah. What what do you feel are, are still the biggest stigmas when it comes to addiction within the South Asian community? Um, I mean, I've spoken to a few people in the community and those in recovery. And the biggest, uh, that I would say, and that they, they pretty much agreed was accessing services Mm. You know, those that are out there to help um, because if you access the service people it's seen as bringing shame on that person and the family right yeah again it comes yeah. back to the community and um, you know you're seen as you're seen as useless a drunk a, ju- a junkie yeah. you're worthless you know which could lead to a person taking their own life and that's even worse and i've seen that happen to some of my friends in recovery and it's not that's really sad it, it's yeah it, it's it's worse why would we even do it yeah. you know we as a community just seem to dismiss someone's troubles you know they don't they don't have empathy for them you know they just rubbish it ignore it rather than helping someone you know this makes a person you know in, in addiction less likely to look for help because of that stigma so accessing those services is is the biggest thing we have you know we just need to stop stigmatizing people and stop you know uh, bad mouthing them and if someone does need help you know help them and if you can't help them don't don't have a go at them you know yeah. just empathize with them and just listen to them i mean in terms of the community there's 
issues around not drinking as well, ain't there? You know, if yeah, you, if, yeah. if you don't drink, you're seen as a soft soft mind. You know, you're weak. Why aren't you drinking? Yeah, uh, that's true. You're not money enough for having a drink. And then when you when you do have a drink and you've got a problem and you try and talk about it, again you're seen as as a weak man and a woman. Yeah, you just so can't true. win, can you? It is so it's such a vicious circle and you just can't win. So it's it's that, you know, which stops I think which stops people from going out there. Um and I it's a sorry state, if you ask me. It is very at the moment, but you know, we're trying to change that. There's a few of us um, through the film and um, some of the services that I'm talking to that we're trying to change that. And I'm, I'm pretty determined um, to make that difference, whether it's for one person or 10 people or 100 people. You know, I will make that difference and I will make that change because I've had enough of it, you know. Yeah, I think, I think most people have. It just takes that one person to start start that movement and to make that like, you know that get that ball It's rolling. a movement, isn't it? Yeah, it's a yeah. movement. Yeah, it has to be. It's the only way it works. And I know there's a lot of people out there who think the same. So if I have to put myself on the line, brilliant. That's fine. I, I don't have nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, so I can put myself at the front, and then the more stronger and powerful people will come 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 to the front, and together we can do it. You know. Yeah, it's that simple. It's yeah, it, what you're doing is an amazing thing, and the people that spoke in the documentary, you know, whether that mm. was your friends or your family or other addicts, you know, it, it was just so brave and so honest and so raw. Yeah. The things that they said, and you mentioned about how drinking is very, you know, kind of it's it's a part of the male South Asian kind of experience yeah. you know and and it's seen as you know you're seen as weak if you don't drink and but mm. there are plenty of women that drink south asian women that drink and of i course. think when yeah. i when i was watching the documentary the one thing that really struck me and i remember saying this afterwards was that i've never seen a south asian woman talking about being an alcoholic or an addict mm. in general um, on screen before. And in your documentary, you spoke to a lady called Oni, who you, you mentioned a bit earlier in the in the interview. And um, and her her being on screen and speaking and about her experience and the fact and just saying that she you know that she was an addict was yeah. just so mind blowing to me because it was it was at that point that I realised <laughs> I had never seen anyone say that, never seen a woman say that before on screen yeah. and it was just it was so powerful and um and I was just wondering you know we never talk about women drinking and and you know and kind of an alcoholism within females in the in the South Asian community mm. having having kind of used the services yourself and spoken to lots of people out there how prevalent is the is addiction within the the female population of South Asians the the side that we never get to hear from because we only ever really hear about them being you know the the on the other side of the uh, alcoholism you know kind of the effects of domestic violence and things like that we never hear about them actually being the addicts so I was wondering how prevalent it was um I think it is I mean one of the things is in this culture you know alcohol is actually accepted and more women drink so to me logically that actually says there's a there'd be a more likelihood of women um, suffering. Aoni, um, who's in the in the film, she suffered 
um, and she won't mind me saying is she went through domestic violence and sexual abuse and she used alcohol mm. as a self-medicating tool you know but while it was helping her get over those traumas it was still killing her at the same time and she had to go through detox and stuff and I can imagine there's many people there's many aunties out there mm. you know in this state and um you can imagine um, the amount of pressure a woman's under anyway, you know, to be a certain way, a certain way, a cook, the perfect wife, why haven't you got a degree, you know, go to university and then cook and then clean and then be the perfect wife, have children and then all of those pressures. And that is a lot of pressure on a woman, mm. you know, and with alcohol being so readily available, you know, I, for me, two and two go together and you could you can logically work it but one of the things I think with the stigmas and taboos around the conversation and I've had a conversation with a friend who works in the service and he goes they're still not accessing the services and it's like I said earlier because of those taboos and stigmas people don't go looking for help yeah so it's still quite hidden or there's not enough statistics around it because right. everything's classed as BAME, but yeah, as we yeah. all know, that's 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 everyone and their son in it that they couldn't find a category for. So yeah, you know that's just the cynic enemy, you know. But um, yeah, I I personally from from my experience, I I used to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and there was very rarely a South Asian person, and I can think maybe just one South Asian female. And that's really? in seven years. That's wow. in seven years of going to AA. Wow. You know. Wow. And, that, and that's not so, to say that they weren't sufferers. I think it's just the no. apprehension almost to, to, to go yeah. and seek help as well. I was just going to say the stigma always seems to be double for a woman just because, it, I don't know, it's just that kind of, wow, then who will want her kind of situation, you know, yeah. like it's, that, it's that, that I feel like yeah. you were right. You yeah. know, you do live under a lot of pressure in terms of, yeah, we have to be the perfect daughter and we have to have the perfect job. And then we have to be the perfect wife mm. who, and the perfect daughter-in-law and, and the perfect mother. And it, it can be a lot and, you know, it can break you in lots of different ways. And I think that, yes, alcohol can be very easy to turn to, um, especially you if you're feeling isolated. Yeah, how do you escape through a substance, yeah. right? And the yeah. easiest substance to get is alcohol. Because yeah. you can you can buy it from a petrol station. Come on. Yeah. That, yeah. To me is just ridiculous. But yeah. So like what we we want to encourage people to watch this documentary. We could I could talk to you for the rest of the evening about this but mm. I, I, what I want is we want people to watch this and we don't want to give too much away about what's covered within this amazing amazing documentary um, but what for you what is the overall aim of the film and and from that where can people watch it now and where would you want this to go Okay, um, I mean, the main aim is to raise awareness around addiction. It happens, it's all around us. Mm. Um, yeah. There's no escaping it. You can be a doctor, an office worker, a factory worker. Addiction can get you. Um, here, it really doesn't discriminate. So for, for the main, main aim is, so let's just start having these conversations. Talk, make it acceptable to, for someone to ask for help so they can get that help. And then they can, 
you know, work in recovery, you know, work at their recovery. And it's very simple. To me, it's so simple. It's like the more we talk about it, the more people know what to do. Those in an active addiction do not feel pressured to then ask for help. And it's that simple, you know. And it's, it stems from us. The community and the service areas will have to do more because they don't get into the, into the community. Yeah. And um, that's one thing. Um, there may have to be that bridge, that gap between the community and the service areas. But I think the more we talk about services and what they can do to help you, then I think that gap will, will, will small, um, get smaller. Mm. And um, what we're actually doing is um, we're running a number of Zoom um, screenings. The next one's the 13th of October, then we've got one in November and December. And each of those and every screening we do is followed by a Q&A session. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I just don't want people to, you know, afterwards say, oh, that's sad, and then not talk about it. Yeah. Let's yeah, sit, let's discuss, let's debate it. Let's talk about it. Any any fears you have, let's talk it out. You know, because all it will do is help someone. Whether it's not in your, if it's not in your family, it will help someone somewhere else because you're not then stigmatizing them. And we're working on a number of face to face screenings locally in Leicester because that's Good. where I'm from. Yeah, um, we're taking those to community centres. And um, in 2022, we're taking it to community centres and temples. Now, I think that is one of the most important places where these conversations yeah. need to start. Yeah. And for my mom, it would have been easier had she gone to the Monday, then they would have said, yeah, you know, you can actually get this help, you know, because the Brahmins and everyone else is just talking about it. So, yeah, my mom would then know, would have known what to do rather than sitting there lost. Yeah, um, yeah and, for sure. And then ideally, I think the video, um, it's very powerful in itself. And it really does need to be seen by a wider audience. Mm. Yeah. So I'd like to take it nationally to other communities and start those discussions. Uh, maybe BBC Three, Channel Four screening. I think it deserves to be seen. So you just don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I am making inquiries, but you know, we'll see what happens. But I think BBC Three, BBC Three is probably an ideal place for it. Um, it's very. Uh, they do, they do very talkative um, subjects and stuff. So yeah, I yeah. think yeah, and I, I think as a whole, you know, um, we can achieve more. Uh, so you know, it's on us. This is on us to make that difference. So you know, let's just go and do it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You are we. We'll do everything within our power to push and promote this piece Thank you. Um, and get this out there as much as possible to as many different people as possible at the same time. Um, just a, a, yeah. a side point you you mentioned in terms of um, services and and is it like people that are suffering right now that wanted to go and seek help with the relevant services for people within our community? Is there is there any services or organisations that they can go to? Um, to potentially seek help? Yeah, in Leicester, um, I'll, I'll talk about Leicester because I know a little bit of course. about that. And, and nationally, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there'll be others like that. You know, there are some sort of smaller groups, but there's also um, Turning Point in Leicester who have um, a South Asian guy um, uh, who's in the video, Dilesh, who works with the South Asian community. So most referrals go through him. Right, but he's one per one person in the whole city. You know, wow. uh, how much can he do? 
But then there's, I mean, there may be others you can deal with it as well. But yeah, sometimes you feel a bit more comfortable going with someone of your own sort, I guess. Yeah, of course. That's just the mindset you are at that time. Mm. And then there's um, the anonymous groups, alcohol anonymous, gamblers anonymous, narcotics anonymous, you know, they're they're very good as well because that's where I started and it seemed to work so far for me. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's also like I know, um, obviously on the mental health side of things, we spoke about Adar Mental Help, who are actually based in yeah. in Leicester. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they obviously they cover um alcohol addiction in there as well okay. for sufferers. Um, I remember okay. speaking to right. about that. So, um, it yeah they cover across the the scale with the South Asian community, and so um, they I know that's another organisation that that would be able to help uh, for people living in the in the Midlands in that area. Of, and Leicester as well yeah. at the same time. Um, so, yeah, um, there's lots of organisations. Please do look them up and stuff and don't feel that you can't speak to anyone about this because yeah. um, that's, the, that's the thing. It's, the you know, to speak about it and there are people that will listen to you um, and will help you through the process, but it just needs um, the sufferer, the individual to just make that step, make that first move. It's, we'll, yeah, we'll put it, details in our um, show notes as well, so that um, we can kind of li- we can send you links, basically. Yeah, links to yeah. And there's stuff on my website as well with uh, resources out there. Yeah, and um, if anyone wants to contact me, they're more than happy to. Yeah. So I where can people where can people find you, Jay? Um, so we can get in, they can get in touch. Yeah, I mean, if you go to my website, it's www.number7events.org forward slash amjit. Um, it's got all my social media stuff on there, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. <clears throat> Excuse me, if anyone wants to contact me, I can point them in the right direction or find where they can go for help. Or even if they just want to have a chat about someone or themselves that they're worried about, I'm more than happy, more than happy to help. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Jit, it's been an absolute pleasure having you join us here on the Native Immigrants today. Uh, the piece, I'm Jit and I'm an alcoholic, is an essential watch um it both left me and jojo in tears um through parts of it uh, and i think it was going to be able to connect with so many people uh and with so with so much in there that resonates and can be related to so much that's happening currently in our community Mm. and until we start to talk about these things in in more depth and in a much wider conversation amongst all our circles, nothing's going to change. We spoke about alcohol addiction in 2018. Here we are all these years later, and we're still, unfortunately, having to talk about it and still trying to find ways to help people that are suffering through it. Um, and we don't want another four or five years of having the same conversations. We'd want to see progress. We want to see development. We want to see change within our community and it can only happen by us having the conversation and by people watching this documentary piece and hopefully being able to change some mindsets and alter some lives because of it so Jit, thank you so much for making this piece for raising awareness because i don't see anyone else doing it and so <coughs> thank you gonna make that step to make it happen then we're here to fully support you through the whole process much much appreciated thank you thank you very much well that is it from this week here on the native immigrants we'll be back in two weeks for more of the same i am swami brackus and i'm jojo b and we'll see you all in two weeks people peace <laughs>